The first parable Jesus told was a long story about different seeds and souls. It also had a long explanation. It was a story that went through different degrees of failure and ended with success. In the end, there was a harvest. Today, we read a parable where we might think the same thing is going to happen, but it doesn't. In the parable we look at today, we see that Jesus is talking in pictures. And these pictures are part of biblical imagery. Jesus is taking the details and the language from Isaiah chapter 5. And so for us to get the context of this, let's start in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. These verses of Isaiah 5 are a poem, a poem about God planting Israel like a vineyard, watching over it, hoping for good grapes, and finally discovering wild, sour grapes. Israel had gone to the bad, despite all of his care. So all that is left is judgment. The vineyard will be broken down, wild animals will come and take over, and it's a terrifying picture of what happens when we persistently reject God. So now that we have that background, let's turn to the parable of Jesus and the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 beginning with verses 1 through 12. Mark 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, 
Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send. A son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others? Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Jesus has taken that story of Isaiah 5 and told it in a different way. God is still the owner. Israel is still the vineyard. But Jesus weaves into the story the idea that many people had. That God was waiting at a distance. That He was speaking through His prophets and longing for the time when Israel would at last obey His call and be the people that He wanted them to be. But it was known that the prophets had mostly been rejected. That Israel had persisted in doing its own thing and going its own way. And now God was sending one who was doing the job of a prophet, but who was more than a prophet. He was the beloved son. We've been following the story of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And when we hear that word son, there's a couple things that we remember. We remember at Jesus' baptism, we heard the voice from heaven saying, This is my son. In Mark chapter 9, when Jesus was on the mount and he was transfigured, we heard the voice from heaven saying, This is my son. And so in this parable, when we hear that word son, We're reminded of that. And as we read this story, we hear that Jesus knew what would happen. That the son would be killed. We see the vineyard tenants, they overreached themselves. They realize it's either him or them. Either the son will inherit or they will. So Israel... And the person of its highest authorities, the chief priest in their culture, is going to reject the son and kill him. Now let's remember, the point of a parable is not to figure out what the symbols and the stories mean. A parable asks a question... And it's up to us to come to the right conclusions. As we think about what this story means, 
We remember that Jesus is talking to those who are trying to trap him. Jesus is talking to those who are trying to undercut the integrity of what he's doing. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. Remember, this is the Bible. And as we read its stories, we're supposed to find ourselves in it. As we read a story, we're supposed to ask, who are we in this story? So rather than seeing this as Jesus going up against the Pharisees, we should see this as Jesus versus the religious authorities. And today, that's us. That's those of us who are not being servant leaders. You see, parables lead us up to a question. To a question that we can answer. And here, this parable leads us up to verse 9. What then would the owner of the vineyard do? So what's the situation up to this point? Everything that has been described is an unjust situation. And the question of this parable is, can you see it? Can you see the injustice? This vineyard is set up for success. The owner goes away. And when the time comes, maybe five years later, the owner sends a servant to collect the profit. This is a legitimate business arrangement, according to Leviticus 19. The owner has lent the land to them. They're paying rent on the place. He's simply asking for what's due. I mean, let's treat people fairly. He's not asking for anything that's not his due. But then there's injustice. Injustice in the beatings. They reject the son who should be honored. This parable was meant to be a warning. But instead of submitting, the authorities do away with Jesus. Can you hear the injustice? And then Jesus adds more scripture. This time from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is about going up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple in the presence of God. It mentions that part of the glory of the temple architecture is the stone that wouldn't fit any other part of the building. But it's the stone that is perfect because it's needed as the capstone, the stone at the very top of an arch. And that's the image that Jesus needs for his point. That what he has come to do, what Jesus has come to be, can't be fitted into a different sort of building. 
And he will be rejected by people who have their own interest in mind, especially those who are desperate to hang on to their own power and prestige. So now that you see injustice in this story, can you see it elsewhere? Can you see it in the story of Jesus, in his rejection, in his suffering, in his crucifixion? And then, can you see injustice staring you in the face? Because that's the real challenge, is to live out this Bible and to live out this challenge of Jesus. Because this story isn't Jesus was right, his opponents were wrong, and because I'm with Jesus, I'm in the right. You know, some people read this parable as Jesus came. The Jews rejected him. They lost their place, so God gave it to the Gentiles, and now the church is a family of God. But this story, this parable... This is not anti-Jewish. If we read this as, I'm glad it was their fault, then we're the ones who missed the point. You see, to complete his mission, Jesus must expose the truth of the human condition before he lays down his life. So the real question that we got to get to when we dig underneath the surface of this story is, am I, am I causing injustice? And then the real question is, what do we do? What I'm trying to say is, this parable implicates us in the action of injustice. The purpose of this parable is for us to realize that we come up short. For us to realize that we need to change. And so the question is, what patterns of injustice are we part of? Where do we go from here? What do we owe God? And those are questions that the next set of verses are trying to answer. So if you will, let's read Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17 together. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. 
Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. When we first read these verses, we think this is a different episode. We think this is a completely different question. That this is all about, should we pay taxes? But then it hits you. Mark is a literary genius, and there's a theology to the way that he structures and puts these stories together. And these verses are asking the same question that the parable asked. What's owed? We see that Jesus asked for a coin. And the point he's making is, if you use what the empire provides, don't you owe the empire what it requires? If the empire gives you a coin and you use that money to buy things, don't be surprised if the empire wants some of that coin back in taxes. That's fair. What's owed? What's the difference in what's owed to God and what's owed to Caesar? And then it hits you or it hit me how we can be like the tenants in the parable. Are we caught up in the system? Are we unfair? Are we trying to take advantage of it? Do we compromise the integrity of people? Are we complicit in an unjust situation? And sometimes if we're honest and we examine ourselves, our answers scare us. And we realize that we have to change. And then we ask, what's the higher commitment? And we know the answer to that question is God. So if you use what God provides, don't you owe God what He requires? And what do we owe God? ourselves. So if we don't want to be like of the world of Caesar, if we don't want to be like those tenants who take advantage of people and hurt others, what's the alternate path? Discipleship that alternate path of discipleship is living a life like Jesus, following His example, the example of love and service and of laying our own lives down in the name of the Father and of the Son.